Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Mercy is the mark of a great man. Oh. Oh. Guess I'm just a good man. Oh. Well, I'm all right. You are not Captain Kirk. You do not belong in charge of the Enterprise and I shall do everything in my power against you. You know what the chain of command is? It's a chain I go get and beat you with till you understand who's in command here. Frequently appalled by the low regard you Earthmen have for life. Welcome to another exciting episode of SFP Now. Um, joining me um, this week to go over news and reviews is Pat Hayes. And now, last week in news. How you doing, Pat? Pretty good. How you doing here? I'm good. I'm really excited about the interview that we got coming later on today because it's with a it's with a favourite comics writer of mine, Ian Edgington. So really excited about that. Cool. You know, and so like, um, and you know, I, I actually shut up for a while to sort of like get the get get the silence. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, he's he's written quite. You know, I enjoyed his uh, Sherlock Holmes versus Zombies series and Sherlock Holmes versus Drakinger and and stuff like that he did. So. And we talk about that in the interview later on. But um, first, um, I'm going to go over some news items and stuff like that. I'm wondering if you want to start. Sure, I'll go ahead and start. Um, last week, we had something amazing happen in a television series that's been getting a lot of flack from everybody, be it professional to fanboy. And that's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. took a big jump up story-wise with last week's episode. Mm. And a big jump down ratings-wise, apparently. I know. Well, that's because I think it's suffering from fallout from the last couple. If they'd started with this one, they would have hooked everybody and everybody would be watching it. Mm-hmm. They had uh, they had the final reveal of how um, Agent Coulson has been and kept alive. We saw a few episodes previously that he had had some surgery to keep him alive, but that couldn't have been all of it, and we finally got the reveal. He evidently has been rec- had received an injection from a, um, an alien, and it looks like it was one of the Kree, and the Kree are one of the major alien races in the Marvel Universe. Wow. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. He pulled out a, um, it was almost like a morgue, pulled out a giant tube, and in it was just the upper torso. The body had been torn in half from just above the waist of a guy who would have been about seven to eight feet tall. Damn. And it was a blue alien with all these wires in it. And um, if you haven't seen the episode, this is going to spoil it, but it's been all over the internet, so I don't think that'll be a problem. Well, I'll Um, watch the episode anyway. Yeah, part of the, uh, there was an injection, and it was going to be given to uh, one of the, uh, should I say, least memorable characters on the series, the girl with no last name, Sky. She was going to get this injection to bring her back to life, much as he had been given the injection. And once he saw the alien, he panicked. He did the long run to stop the injection. 
and he was too late. She got shot up with it, and she kind of throbbed on the table and got erect, and then her skin changed color for a second until it went back to normal. Damn, so she's still alive then? She's still alive, but the hot rumor is that's going all over the internet and has been for a while. She could be um, a big-time Marvel character from the 70s that's just coming back out again. Uh, she could be Ms. Marvel. Ooh! And that's a major Marvel superhero. She's a member mm. of the Avengers. Yeah, she needs got a boob job, though, this, isn't she? Yeah, now that she's got this alien DNA in her, I mean, anything's possible. Yeah, she needs to get a boob job, though. <laughs> because, you know, in all the Miss Marvel, um, Marvel comics I've seen, certainly the covers, Miss Marvel's got massive double Ds, hasn't she? Oh, yeah, she does. So, you know, they, they need to address that if people <laughs> want to take her seriously as Miss Marvel. <laughs> well, I, I think there's something on the series that would get you then, Ian. At the very end of the episode, they threw another one at us, and I was stunned that they did it so quickly. Um, started in Death Valley, a couple had gone to Death Valley in California on their honeymoon, and this really attractive blonde comes out, looks at the husband and goes, uh, you want to take me for a ride, but I love my wife. No, you don't love your wife anymore. No, I don't love my wife anymore. And they get in the car and drive away, leaving the wife abandoned in Death Valley. Yeah, I believe, I believe blondes have special powers like that. Yeah, yeah, especially, especially this one. It's the Enchantress's sister, Lorelai. Ah. And she, she's a character from the Thor comic books. Yeah, so and they're setting up for a... Uh, Lady Sif. Yeah, that's this uh, this week's episode. Lady Sif yeah. shows up, and I'm sure it's to go after Lorelai. Well, so in you one know... episode, I was so impressed. Marvel Agents of Shields went to a little sideline player. They've now upped the ante. They're tying into Avengers, and they're tying into Thor three. Cool. Well, I just seen Thor two last week. Oh yeah. And I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a pretty good film. Yeah, that's when that's when they started to get better. So yeah. I'm hoping if this continues. My hopes are now really high, and I hope they can pick up some audience. Yeah, I, I kind of hope they do too. I mean, so like I've been looking forward to Lady Sif coming into it more so because. Um, as much as you like to think that I'm attracted to blondes, I can take them on even, you know, I'm, so I'm more, you know, uh, give me any random blonde and Lady Sif, I'll go for Lady Sif every time, <laughs> you know. And you would have to or she would snap you in two. Um, well, you know, so like, um, being, being snapped in two by Lady Sif, at least I'd die of a smile on my face. <laughs> or oh, that could be wind from being snapped in two. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> But yeah, it's all like it's. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I mean, it comes back this week in the UK. Um, they've not really done massive big advertising campaign for it, but it starts up again this Friday in the UK, and uh, um, we only got to episode ten here in the UK before it broke off mid-season, so we're we're quite a ways behind. Right, and and they do start to improve. It's kind of like. It's typical Joss Whedon storytelling. The first 10 episodes, you're wondering what's going on, and then the last 10, he starts to twist it all together, and every episode counted for something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, sort of, I'm quite looking forward to it, you know, see, see, seeing the, the, these episodes, but I'm a bit pissed off that I've got to wait um, at least for three, maybe four weeks before we start getting to this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> You know, um, another song like uh, an interesting little bit of Doctor Who thing is um, um, apparently a Series 8 villain has been revealed. Um, what it is, the Master is, retur- is rumoured to be returning in the Keith Peter Capaldi debut at, at the series. Um, and it's been going on for a while, but it won't be John Sim playing it. Oh. And basically, uh, according to attendees at a recent Newcastle film and comic con panel, the seventh Doctor, Sylvester McCoy, claimed that the Master is indeed back, but it won't be John Sim in the role. 
Mackay didn't reveal who exactly had been cast, but apparently said the actor in question is very scary. Um, with only tweets to go on, uh, you you want to take this with a pinch of salt. So you know, it's at the moment it's kind of rumor, uh, but apparently um, I've I've heard that uh, Sylvester McCoy was with somebody from the BBC at this convention. So there could be a bit of truth to it. Well, it it makes sense that they'd have to recast it. I don't know how I feel about a young master up against an older looking doctor. I don't think that you know. I'm I'm hoping to cast um, somebody older in the master. I, I hope so too. Who would you? Put as the master, though. Mm, oh, an older, an older actor to play the master. Um, Charles Dance. Oh. Uh, Jeremy Irons. <laughs> I don't uh, think you get Jeremy. Well, maybe you could get Jeremy Irons. Possibly. I mean. Um... But if you wanted to cast for realism, um, David Cameron, oh. our country's prime minister, because he's a complete bastard <laughs> and it was all right. But then again, you know, that that'd be sort of going against the grain working for the BBC, you know. Yeah, working the, the, with them to help them. Yeah, you know, they, they, the Tory party, um, by tradition, tend to work against the BBC because they have this denuded idea that the BBC is totally against them. <laughs> but, you know, i tell you who I would cast as a master without a moment's hesitation. Ooh. Colin Baker. Oh, wow. Wow, that would be interesting if you took a previous doctor and that's the face he uses. That would be great. Mm. And I'd cast Colin Baker because prior to him playing a doctor, he played a lot, quite a lot of dark, villainous characters. You know, so he he, he was he was known for playing sort of like rather villainous, twisted. Uh, Machiavellian characters back in the day, so um, yeah. so I think he'd make a good master, and he'd probably do it as well if he was offered it. I think he'd do it as well. I think he'd jump at it. I think yeah. that'd be great. A little bit of redemption. I know his time as the Doctor is not too well thought of, so that'd be a great opportunity for him to take it back. Yeah, and and the other thing is, you know, judge, judging by the amount of times the Master's been used already because um, they've used him quite sparingly in the new series in comparison to how they used him in the pre in the classics in the classic. Oh. Um, yeah. he, he probably won't have to play it too many times before they'd regenerate him and turn him into somebody else. Right. You know. So and and also he's he's changed sufficiently enough now that he wouldn't necessarily be recognisable as um, a former Doctor Who, right. other than to you know us us older fans would recognise him, but the younger yeah. the younger audience wouldn't necessarily know who he was. I and, think that'd be great. You know. So <laughs> I, I I think I I think that'd be good. I think we should start a campaign to get Colin Baker as a Master. Heck yeah. And then he has his evil sidekick, the Rani, and it would be uh, uh, Perry. <laughs> yeah, I don't want him to bring the Rani back. <laughs> you know, that, that was bad enough the first time. <laughs> um, another, another bit of news uh, Supernatural, the Supernatural spin off now has a new title. It's gone from being called Supernatural Tribes to now being called Supernatural Bloodlines. Um, and they've cast their female lead this weekend. It's um, Melissa Rotsborough, and she's to play um, Violet Durant, who's a member of a powerful werewolf pack who hides her true nature because of her forbidden love for family rival David, um, who's played by the originals Nathaniel Bozek, or whatever, uh, however that's said. Um, Supernatural Bloodlines is to be a sweeping drama about the mafia-esque monster families that unknowingly to humans run the underbelly of Chicago 
and who are being tracked by a newly minted hunter. So what do you make of this? Um, I'm still fairly new to Supernatural. I'm only through about halfway through season four when the apocalypse is going down, and I'm really enjoying the show. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I'm all for more Supernatural. I mean, if Stargate could have a bazillion spin-offs in Star Trek, why not Supernatural as well? Mm. Well, I've got to admit, I, I kind of stopped watching Supernatural a while ago. Um, but I might come back to it for the spin-off, to give the spin-off a try. But I kind of watched as far as season eight, and I got a bit bored of it, to be honest. Right, that's um, what I've heard. I've heard season four, the apocalypse season, is the peak of the whole show so far. Season four and five is, yeah. is basically the peak. Uh, although they did bring Jeremy Carver back for season eight, and season eight was okay. Um I mean, you know, it's still got a hardcore fan base. That's a very, very loyal fan base, and um, very loyal. And you know, fiercely loyal to the point of you that you know we posted a few things on the site in the past, and they've commented on it and say, "Oh, you got the uh, premiere date wrong," <laughs> <laughs> and we had to go in and correct it and stuff like that. Um, so you know, I think I think spin off. I think it's a good move by CW. Um, it's certainly the, it's certainly quite a bold move because it's the first. Well, they did the originals as well, Vampire Diaries, but Supernatural, with it having been going, you know, for nine years now, and they've they've already renewed it for a tenth season, um, it's probably the right time to do a spin-off because, you know, if they carry on for another ten years, Sam and Dean are going to be walking with Zim frames. <laughs> you know, it's um, it's it's crazy, but I'm I'm so like um, I'll give it a look. When 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 it comes out and see what it's like because I believe they're going to be you know, they're going to be using episode twenty of the current run as a backdoor pilot. Right, I think that's uh, April 29th here in the states when mm-hmm. it premieres. Yeah. Um. So you got anything else? Yeah, I got one more from the uh, hard to believe it's happening. Um, a new film has just been purchased by Lionsgate over the weekend, Ooh. and it's called Exists. E X I S T S. Pardon my pronunciation. And it's a Bigfoot movie about whether Bigfoot is real or not. And it has the typical plot of five kids go into the woods and they encounter a creature that slowly stalks them and starts to knock them off. I mean, we've seen this a million times over. But what makes it interesting is Lionsgate grabbed it right away because it's from um, Eduardo Sanchez, who is one of the co-directors and um, writers, as far as I understand it, of the Blair Witch Project. Mm. So right away I went, all right, Blair Witch, it's divided a lot of people, but that movie pretty much changed movies as far as I'm concerned. I mean, no matter what you think of it, the found footage movie syndrome is just still going to this day. Yes, it's, um, it's gone a little bit crazy though, hasn't it, really? Oh, it's all over the map. There, there are great ones, there are bad ones, but if you've got one of the original people involved with Blair Witch doing this movie and Lionsgate, Lionsgate just jumps over it, something tells me there's something they see in it that this could be a big deal. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it sounds like it, it, it could well, well, well be, be be a good thing yeah I'll, I'll definitely give it a hit i mean some of the uh, found footage movies that have come out lately like um vhs and vhs2 were pretty good not bad and um i'd like to see more if they're of that high caliber yeah i'm so like i'm curious to see 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 um see 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 a few things myself i mean i go i mean i'm not really a fan of the found footage kind of documentary sort of film anyway i prefer, prefer a straight drama um you know straight storytelling sort of like thing to to found footage documentary i didn't even like i didn't like that jj abrams monster movie what was it called now oh cloverfield yeah i didn't really get into that i kind of got bored of it after the first 20 minutes because it just seemed to be a bunch of uh 
you know, a bunch of people with cell phones in a building and, you know, lots of, you know, not lots of perceived built tension building up. You know, it just kind of annoyed me. Right. I thought I thought it was an okay movie. That some parts were much better than others, but I thought it was executed pretty well. Mm. I, I'm I'm kind of looking forward to Godzilla. Oh yeah, I'm all I'll be there opening night midnight yeah. show if they have one in my area. And talking about Godzilla, um, for this store we've just ordered um a replica of the uh, movie Godzilla of, of the Godzilla that's used in the new movie. Oh wow. We just pre ordered one. It comes out in June um, after the movie comes out and it's all like a, it's apparently it's fire breathing, I think. <laughs> I'm not sure if it breathes real fire, but I think it kinda of like you push a button it gives the illusion that it breathes fire. Um and you know, we're gonna be selling that in the store for sixty four ninety nine, so <laughs> it looks pretty cool. <laughs> Um, well, yeah, I'm looking forward to Godzilla, and I've seen the trailer. Have you seen the trailer for Godzilla? Oh, I've seen a couple trailers of it. Yeah, yeah. you know, Brian Cranston's like uh, I swear to God, I'm not sure who'd be scared of more, Brian Cranston or Godzilla. Yeah, <laughs> he's gonna go out there and just stare it down, and it'll turn and run away. Yeah, you know, so like, it'll turn and run away, and then 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 will do a sequel where Godzilla develops a coke habit <laughs> or, or something, and just breaks bad. Sorry. <laughs> Oh, oh, oh wow. <laughs> that was bad. Um another another interesting uh, discussion point happened uh, in the last episode of Arrow apparently, um where we seen um a lady with pigtails from behind in a cell and she had black fingernails. Um which basically that you know, it's to do with the suicide squad storyline, don't mean we've been watching Arrow. Uh, no, but I've been keeping up with it online. Well, apparently the 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 rumor is that they're going to be bringing Harley Quinn into the series. Right. Which the internet uh, is a internet is a buzz with that item. Oh, yeah. Right. So I mean, get up it get up around midweek. I think we um I think think IGN did did a discussion on it, and I I personally am loving this series of Arrow. It's taking off hugely, and I feel so bad I missed out. I'm gonna have to go back and watch it. Oh, it's, 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 it's doing great guns. I mean, I thought the first series was kind of slow in parts, but still enjoyable. I stuck with it uh, to the eventual payoff in the end. And um, and, and this series um, so far has been kind of good. Although it's got a bit irritating because they've gone, gone a little bit. They went and, they went and did um, a moral lance, developed um, a drug habit sort of thing, uh, um, which was kind of like a little bit of a subplot within the main plot of the series. And, you know... They they focused a little bit too much on that for my taste. Um, well, that's it, a that's a major classic comic book story when Speedy mm, got a drug habit. Yeah, but it's sort of like um, it's it's been good. I mean, the enemy that he's up against this year is Snade. Yeah, and you can't go wrong with that character as a villain. He's incredible in the comics, and I'm sure he's awesome on the uh, series. Well, you know, he's gonna be awesome. In the, he's awesome in the series. He's actually played by Manu Bennett, who's sort of like a giant of a man. Oh. Um, and, and Manu Bennett played Crixus in Spartacus Blood and Sand and Spartacus Gods of the Arena, and was oh. one of the main players in that. And now he's playing, playing, you know, he's playing Snade. And the storyline is that uh, basically Oliver Queen was on the island with a uh, with Snade and their friends. Um, but because Snade took this sort of like a uh, drug sort of thing, it turned him a bit funny, and uh, and and Oliver had to uh, you know got into an altercation with him and stabbed his eye out with an arrow. Uh. And that's uh, that story. And basically, Snade's back in Starling City now. Uh, Oliver Queen doesn't know about it yet. 
um, to, 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 but, he, but he's behind everything that's going on in Starling City at the moment. But what's really annoying me about Arrow is this Starling City bullshit. Why can't they just call it Star City like in the comics? Yeah. You know, because Starling oh. City it sounds like it's a city totally inhabited by birds. Yeah. You know, keep expecting um, people to dress up as Starlings. And, and, and have little styling conventions and stuff like that. It just doesn't work for me. But, yeah, the you know, Arrow's um, a big, big talking point for me. Um, what, what have you been watching of me? That, that, that's really got you excited. Um, well, they just finished up the uh, 13 episodes of um, Almost Human. Mm-hmm. And um, that series had, I found out um, from digging around online, it wasn't broadcast in the correct order here in the States. Yeah, we, we talked about that on last week's episode, actually. Raisa had discuss- and I had a discussion about it. Yeah, I couldn't believe that. I was like, no wonder some of these characters regressed and then jumped forward. And I'm like, oh my god, who's in charge down there putting the putting the disc in the slot to play it? Mm. Yeah, and it's so like it's also it's, it's also a bad sign because they did the same with Firefly, and Firefly right. got cancelled. And sadly, I think I think almost humans gonna go the same way. Yeah, I mean the ratings weren't stellar. Um, it's got a lot of uh, buzz online, kind of like Firefly. So we'll see what happens. I would love to see more of it. Just the chemistry between Ely and Urban was incredible mm. to watch. It was, and they're quite funny together. It was kind of like an odd couple sort of pairing, and it was quite enjoyable to watch. Yeah, and even the supporting actors were getting a little bit more each week. So, I mean, I'd love to see more. They left the door open for a million things. They, I was impressed they never went back to the original plot line of him being set up by his girlfriend. They just it got brought up once quickly, mm-hmm. and then that was it. I mean, I thought that would have been the thrust towards the end. Never went back yeah. to it. An interesting plot point I was set up as well, something else that Reese and I touched on what we were talking about last week, was the fact that they that the city was walled off from somewhere else. Right. And, you know, I thought that's kinda of like a very judge dread right there. Um, exactly. I thought they're living in Mega City too. You know? So what they're gonna do, um when 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 are we gonna see this other city and it don't look like we are now. Yeah, they just kind of, they had the one episode with um, John LaRaquette, and he went over the wall, and that's all we saw of it. Yeah, and, and John LaRaquette's character was quite interesting in that episode as well. I mean, it's not often I say that about anything that John LaRaquette does, because I hate that law show he does. He, he does a series of TV movies about a lawyer. Oh, right, right. Um, I just, um, and they're usually on in daytime. Um, right. You know, when, I, when I'm working at the computer, usually on in the background, and, and I'm just not... Um, that overall with him, but I thought in 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 um, almost human he played a pretty decent character. Right. Well, he's got some pretty far-reaching Star Trek roots. He was in uh, Star Trek Three as the only Klingon to survive at the end of the movie. Yeah, Officer Maltz. Yep. Yeah, and um, you know, do, and and he had that famous line, um, "You you promised to kill me, I lied." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's so like. Um, yeah, he's he's been he's been in he's been in a few things, uh, John Larroquette, but he's very you know he's very hit or miss with me. Right, I thought I I agree. I think he was really good and almost human, and I I'm hoping the series come back comes back and we get to see a little bit more of him. It would be cool, but it just doesn't look like it's going to happen, does it, Reggie? You know. Yeah, I I couldn't tell you what Fox executives think. Mm. Well, I think I think if the if they're not if they're disrespecting it enough to show it out of order, it's not a good sign. Yeah. Yeah, especially if it's a J.J. Abrams show and they're showing it out of order. Mm, yeah, you know, well, that, that, that's the thing, you know. So, like, uh, Joss Whedon was a pretty well-established writer and uh, now J.J. Abrams, um, an established and respected filmmaker and writer. Um, another bit of interesting news. Um, this is a bit of video game news because I'm so like, I'm trying to get a bit of video game news in there. Do you play any video games? 
Um, no, I don't. I just don't have time for them. Uh, did you used to? Um, the last video game I played was on the Atari 5200 in about 1984. Holy crap. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I only I only get a couple of hours in per week, so um, I'm you know I'm not I'm not anywhere near you know World of Warcraft levels where where I'm sort of like stuck in front of a TV screen twenty four seven, being fed by intravenous drip or anything like that. Uh, but I've got a PlayStation Four, um, you know, and have all my home entertainment and everything piped through that. But there's a new game coming out. Um, it's the third in a series of games, actually. They started these games on PlayStation 3. It's called Infamous. And it's about, um, it's about society where, you know, similar to X-Men, people uh, develop... It's an eight gene where they develop some, some sort of superpower sort of thing, but they're outmawed and ostracised by the rest of society, yeah? So oh, yeah. there's a bit of an X-Men sort of like thing to it. And right. and they're, they're usually sort of like uh, you know kind of like can uh, kind of like regarded as criminals sort of thing. So it's edgier than that, man. <laughs> um, in in a sense, and this is a this is the second game. It's, it's the third game in the series. It's called Infamous Second Son. It's kind of like a reboot of the game series uh, for the PlayStation Four. It comes out on March twenty first. And apparently, it's outsold in 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 pre-orders. It's actually outsold uh, the Last of Us, which was kind of like an apocalyptic game that was released on PlayStation Three last year, and was right. actually uh, named IGN's Game of the Year last year. Right. Um. And Infamous Second Son has outsold it in pre-orders. Um. And basically, um, they Sony have ma- massive expectations for it because it's kind of like the first um, PlayStation Four exclusive. That that song, like it's the first big exclusive, and and Sucker Punch, the uh, software developers, have been wi- I've widely publicised and previewed the game to a point where the fan ex- expectations for it are massive. Wow. Um, and the thing is, it has this character called Dilson, I think he's called, and he's uh, running around. Um, an exact replica of Seattle. Oh. So they've actually rendered the entirety of Seattle, and Seattle is your is your hero or anti-hero's playground. <laughs> um, uh, we are excited to be. We are excited by the level of pre-orders, which which are which are exceeding that of the Last of Us uh, at this point. Uh, to run up to its launch, um, SCE UK product manager Josh Walker. Uh, told MCV, uh, we can already see it benefiting from the goodwill and of of a buzz of, and of the buzz surrounding PlayStation Four, and expect Second Son to be the biggest game in the infamous series to date. Uh, Two thousand thirteen blockbuster, The Last of Us sold over three point four million units uh, between its release on June fourteenth and July third of last year making it the fastest-selling new franchise in the, in the console's history at that time. It was also the quickest-selling PS3 game of 2013. Infamous Second Son takes place in a lockdown Seattle where character uh, Dilson Rowe is given superhuman abilities that make him capable of fighting back against the oppressive Department of Unit, Unit Protection, the DUP, uh, throughout the adventure, players witness the, the consequences of their, their actions as they affect the city and people within it. Infamous Second Son will be released uh, globally on March 21st alongside a new hardware bundle. 
Um, and, you know, at the end of this article, I just say, keep an eye out for our review of it, because I've actually pre-ordered it. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually had it on pre-order since I got my PlayStation uh, back in January. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I've also I've also actually paid for it now. Oh, my so gosh. So all I've got to do is pick it up. But it's a pretty cute game. If you, if you look up Second Son on uh, Infamous Second Son on YouTube and watch some of the footage, I swear you'll be blown away. Oh wow! And one of his one of his superpowers is he can actually absorb other people's superpowers oh, wow. and, and 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 take them onto himself. It's kind of like um, rogue, you know, kind of like rogue, yeah. Yeah. But you know, you can switch between his own powers and their powers, and and, and keep switching and changing. Oh, which wow. rogue, so which rogue can't like do. Yeah. So he's more powerful than rogue. Yeah. So it's um it's an interesting game. Apparently, the the first two games were were you know fair fairly good and had you know fairly well received by the audience, but nowhere near as as big big a launch as this one's getting. I guess so. You know, Louise. You know this this song like is is quite it's really big. So I I can't wait to play that on the weekend of the twenty first of March. Yeah, I'll bet you and everybody who bought one. Yeah, I'll be taking the weekend off. <laughs> <laughs> And you're gonna get that intravenous drug set up, right? To keep you going. Yeah, I'm gonna to have to get uh get a drip. Yeah, get a drip, uh, you know, intravenous chocolate being pumped into me and alcohol to keep me alive. <laughs> you know. Probably won't do my liver any good, but you know I <laughs> can't wait to go it, it tell was you. Fun. It was fun while it lasted. <laughs> but yeah, it's um it looks like uh you know it, it's look, it, it's looked like an exciting game since I've seen the initial footage of it. And and the rendering job that they've done of Seattle is beautiful. Oh wow! You know it's um it's just gorgeous, and I can't wait to play it. Um. Okay. Have you been watching Big Bang Theory? Because they just they stopped showing it here. Um. They just started back up again over here this last week. Ah. Uh, so the last step. I can't remember the last episode that I seen, but I think we're still a little bit behind. Uh. Was they it, couldn't... Were they, Were they on the train? No. It was before okay, that. Yeah. Something big happens in the train episode. Yeah, but they're um, they're they're bringing it back in in the UK. Um, and I think I think they said it's going to be coming back in April here. Oh my gosh! So we still got a ways away. It's just a really really annoying um, that we got away. Um, here's an interesting piece. Uh, Mark Gatiss is bigging up the new Doctor Who. Really? Yeah, he's bigging up the new Doctor Who. Um, as if he wouldn't. Um, he's actually promised um, an exciting and disturbing debut for Peter Capaldi on Doctor Who. Uh, speaking to Digital Spy at the London Lesbian and Gay Switchboard 40th Anniversary Gala, uh, Gattis spoke about writing for Doctor Who Series 8. Um, Peter has a very different energy to Matt Smith and David Tennant, he said. He's older, which changes everything. It's amazing what a change does. Uh, Matt was sublime, and I was very, very sorry to see him go. But it also, but it's also great to have a change, as it all, as it has always been with the Doctor. Um, Gatiss added that Capaldi's new Doctor brings with him a whole new set of rules. The Doctor's always the Doctor, but you, but you can have a lot of fun playing with people's expectations. He continued, "Everyone knows how the previous Doctor would react in any given given situation." And now you just don't know. Uh, Stephen Moffat um, has written Capaldi's first full Doctor Who episode, which Gatiss described as thringing. Uh, the sci-fi drama will return to BBC One later in 2014, and of course BBC America as well. 
Can't yeah. wait. Yeah, I can't wait. Um, I'm kind of looking forward to Keith Capaldi, but I want him to do the Doctor Nike did Nike Nike in the thick of it. Right. I'm, it's I'm, gonna be it's gonna be interesting. I'm wondering, um, since I'm gonna be at San Diego Comic Con this year for all four days, if BBC is gonna have a little rollout there for for Peter Capaldi and the new ser- the new Doctor. I, you know, it's, it's quite possible because um, obviously um, that's. Pretty comic cons gonna be pretty close to uh, the new series airing as well because it'll yeah. because it'll probably come on here in the UK around about August. Um, I've got a feeling it might even be a bit later than that, and um, it will run out up until Christmas because they're gonna show all thirteen episodes back to back. There's not gonna be a break this time round. Right, and I'm grateful for that. Yeah, so so am I because I, I just found a break, and I'm also grateful that they're showing it in the winter months as well. Right. You know, it's um, just so long as they don't schedule it against Expat and like they have been doing every every time this year. <laughs> uh, but then again, it seems to hold its own. Um, anyway, um, well, now it's on to the interview with Ian Edgington. I'd like to welcome to the uh, show, um, you know, certainly one of my uh, favourite comic book writers um, from here in the UK, and um, you know, and I'd like to welcome Ian Edgington to the show. How you doing? I'm fine, thank you very much. It's uh, good to talk to you. But, uh, I know we've we've arranged this before in the past. It's all failed hideously, so I'm, I'm <laughs> we're here now. So. Yeah, you know, so this has been about two years. <laughs> <laughs> It's worth waiting for, I assure you. But, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because what, what happened is I, I kind of got busy and uh, you, you, you're always very busy. So, you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, it's, it's great to finally actually uh, be able to sit down and do this. It is. It's between, between work and having two small children, it's kind of chaotic. It's like, you know, in, in, I think in about 40 minutes, everything's going to go into a halt because I'll come screaming through the door. So, <laughs> so it's, uh, right, let's get this in under the wire quickly. So, um, but yeah, no, so it's, it's nice, nice to finally have a breather and take the time. So um, let's, let's luxuriate in our conversation. Cool. Well, I mean, the first question I've got um, is, I kind of asked this everyone, um, but, you know, how, how did you actually get into writing comics? Was it something that you kind of uh, wanted to do early on? Or? Um, it's I, I, I you know, being thirty seventh year. I actually got into comics, but primarily through two thousand AD. I, I, I mean, because I'm, I'm I'm fifty now, and so I, I started off reading the old, you know Hotspur and Victor and Valiant and Lion and all that kind of thing, and then Smash and Power that had the, the Marvel reprints in. Um, and then, but it was like two thousand AD that really kind of clicked into gear for me. Um, I, I, I read it kind of religiously, and, and then but uh, and then as, as I kind of got older and discovered you know, beer and clubbing and pubs and girls things, it kind of went by the wayside. And then I kind of drifted back with the the Alan Moore, Frank Miller stuff and, and, and Deadline over here and and, uh, and two thousand AD again. I thought, oh, you know, I, I quite fancy. You know, well, I'd like to have a go at this kind of thing. You know, and, um, and so I, I got together with uh, with Steve Pugh, who was um, uh, he'd been he'd done a self published comic with Phil Winslade that was actually been sold. In the uh, the Virgin Comics concession in, in the uh, in the, the Virgin Comics in Birmingham in the mega store, so we kind of like, I got his number. We met up. We got hideously drunk. We got so drunk we could through time, and um, <laughs> and then we decided let, you know let's do something. So we, we put together. I wrote a script and he did the artwork. And uh, the guys from Deadline, that's Brett Ewing, Steve Dillon, um, Jane Hewlett, Grant Morrison, oh, not Grant Morrison, uh, and uh, Philip Bond, um, were all signing at Nostalgia and Comics uh, in Birmingham, and we kind of like shuffled up to them. And gave them these things and then ran away. And uh, they, they apparently they read, read them on the train like that they saw, rang up and said, you know, can we do this? And we kind of went, yeah. And then they wanted some more. So we did uh, we did a Christmas story for the, like, the Christmas issue. But then Steve, the friend, he got a contact who was over at First Comics 
um, and Steve kind of got uh, went off to draw Grimjack. But um, luckily, those two stories. Uh, Dave Elliott, who um, did Temporary UK and, uh, and does Atomica and that, saw those stories and, and showed them to some people at Dark Horse, and they got running Dark Horse Presents in their like, anthology comic. Uh, and off the back of that, they offered me a Terminator strip, and then that was kind of very gradually wheels turned, and that's kind of how my, my kind of career uh, kind of creaked, creaked forward. I mean, I'd always written bits and bobs and, and this and that, and um, I never really thought about properly pursuing it as a, as a career. and. Um, I was doing. I was working in environmental public relations um, mm-hmm. in, the, in the city centre for quite a while, and then I worked for Ross for the road safety people. I edited about three or four of their magazines, and then I went on to edit a movie magazine. Um, and so all the time I was writing at, at night and, and doing the magazine work in the day, and uh, and eventually uh, the, the film magazine folded. And uh, I thought, well, you know, now's the time to kind of push the boat out and, and, and you know. And, Good my loins, and uh, and so I, I kind of went freelance full time, and that's been after twenty, oh, plenty, twenty, thirty plus years ago. Um, I've kind of had to go back into employment a couple of times. I've had some companies fold under me, and you know, desperately need to get some money in to pay the mortgage. But uh, overall, it's been, you know, been pretty much consistently employed, which is good. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of that's that's a potted history. Mm. Well, you know, you know, potted, potted history is better than no history. <laughs> Um, who in the world of comics uh, would you say has been of most inspirational to to you, um, either, either writer or artist? Um, I think for formative influences, and I think that's kind of the first, it's still kind of like your your Pavlovian reaction. What you know, which, um, I would also say uh, Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko because I, I remember reading those stories in you know, in, in Smash and Power and things in the. Um, and uh, the, the, the FF, I, I always, I mean, a bit, I'm, I'm being a bit overdramatic now, but I always like like a light and curvy stuff like opera. It's really big and in your face and histrionic and kind of you know very. And it was when you read that when you're a kid, you just go, holy cow, wow, you know, wow. And then there was on the other hand, there was the Ditko stuff when he was doing Spider Man. Uh, and again, that kind of you know, when you're raised on British war comics or you're raised on bus story based on where this kind of thing comes at you out of left field. It's like, and then 2000 AD. So um, it would be all like Pat Mills and, and Alan Moore and things like that. That those you know those other kind of like you know, British um, but different you know alternate British ideas you know, that shoved into your head then um, and that 2000 AD brought with it. So it's that kind of those were the two two or three fundamental things you know that kind of mixed up in my head when I was young and they've they've been the influences that kind of like have stuck with me comic-wise pretty much ever since you know there's, there's you know, a bit of Grant Morrison filtering there over the years and Neil Gaiman and, and other people and you know and books I read and Holden Ellison and stuff and things but uh, if you want to kind of get down to the bedrock you know it's like Jack Kirby um Steve Ditko Pat Mills Alan Moore those, all those all those kind of guys and that's kind of gave me my grounding uh, you know so it's a good rock to, to to stand on when you want to try and launch your career so mm-hmm. um yeah it, it's those guys um, much of the work you've done uh, that I've read is is in the is in the um, what what people call in the steampunk genre. Um, another two stickleback stories you did, um, and you know when I was actually introduced to them, I, I actually raved like a madman about them to anyone that listened. <laughs> um, so, uh, what what was your inspiration for stickleback, and uh, is the character ever likely to make a return? Yeah, well, 
um, he, he, he did pop back. There's been a series um, where he kind of resurrected him, explained how he kind of escaped. Well, you know, he came back from the dead. And then, funnily enough, Matt, Booker Disraeli, and I, we're working on a, on a new series now. It's called The, the Thruppany Opera. Um, but this time, what, what, instead of just being like a standalone 12 part of what we're doing, is it'll be three uh, 12 parts. So it's, 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 a, it's kind of like a big overarching. He never really had kind of like an epic story. Each one's kind of been fairly standalone. So we're actually going to give him a big story because there's. Uh, we, we always hint at, you know, because he, he, Stickleback is, a, is an identity. You know, it's a, we've, we've, we've actually mentioned now properly that it's a costume he puts on. So it's like, who is the person underneath the costume? And, we, and we've hinted that he could be, you know, this person or that person. Or, or, so we're going to kind of gradually inch towards that a little bit. So, um, But the, the reason I wanted to do it was, well, again, from my, my childhood, I think it was in Lion, there was, there was, there was a spider where it was a, um, a strip that was about primarily about a villain who is the main, who is the protagonist, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, he ruled the, the crime, you know, the crime world, the underworld um, in, that, in, the, in, in the comic. And there was also um, the Blue Max, which was a World War One series that, uh, that basically pitted a, uh, a biplanes against giant bats. Uh, I just, so I, I just I thought, right, I wanted to, I wanted to have a, a kind of really nice kind of gourmet kind of. Uh, you know, steampunky, gothicy um, villain, and have him as your as your main protagonist that you're rooting for, even though he does really horrible things. Um, I, you know, I want you to root for the bad guy kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. I thought, and, and that, that's kind of how he uh, how he kicked off. And I was, I'm, I'm kind of really pleased with the way the way he's gone. And, and that especially did did really came up with a um, a whole kind of new art style just for the strip that we would just use solely for that strip. Like when Matt's done Ordinary or, or, or uh, something else or like yeah. some, you know, Dread stuff. You know, he's kept it more uh, kind of kind of straight and clean line where um, Stickleback is very kind of, you know, um, I don't know, photogravity or you know what I mean? There's lots of textures and things like that. So it's, uh, it takes him a lot longer to do and he does curse me sometimes. Um, yeah, I think it, the, the effect works really well. It's, yeah, I've got a, you know the funny thing is about Stickleback is um, I actually uh, got my copy from Matt, mm. um, and it was at um, it was at a Doctor Who convention of all places, mm. um, and it was it was like a very small Doctor Who event that that was uh, run at the Nassau Gallery in Manchester. Oh, um, wow. Sadly. The, uh, the the manager that that was that was running the gas back then, um, he had to let the pub go uh, late last year or early oh, this year. Oh, was that getting this garret? Yeah. Oh yeah. So, yeah. You know, it's um, it's it's really sad because um, you know that 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 you know that connection yeah. um, has got you know been been a way and a means of introducing me to quite a few cool people. So. Because I, I mean, I'd, I'd always because I, I did a couple of stories for the, the Doctor Who magazine. I always wanted with uh, with Adrian Salmon and the, I mean the artwork was, was really beautiful. But I always wanted to see Matt draw Doctor Who because I thought he'd be great. But I, a bit bizarrely, we actually ended up doing um, three part Tortured story. So it's kind of almost you know, Doctor Who by proxy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, I think I think it was at that, I think it was at that place because Gary Russell was there. And I, but yeah, I think I was there as well. But. Um, but no, so Matt, you know, Matt was like a shoe in for, for this, you know, because he's got that sort of really quirky, gothic-y kind of style. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, so we, 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 like I said, we've got this, this big three-arc story, you know, and it's, um, it's going to be coming up soon. So, uh, yes, looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm going to have to look for that, you know. Um, anyway, um, moving on, uh, my, my, my next uh, thing um, that I really love that you did is, I love the Sherlock Holmes adaptations that you did. Yes. Um, you know, because I'd never actually read a study in Scarlet until I picked up your your version. Yeah. Um, 
But I also love the uh, the two, you know, mishmashes you did, um, Sean Combs versus Zombies and Sean Combs versus Dracula. Oh, Dracomite. yeah, the Holmes Apocrypha thing. Yeah, but mm. I mean, the the, 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 the adaptation came because Ian, Ian Fulbard and I, the, the, the artist, we'd, we'd done the picture of Dorian Gray and um, an Emirate uh, self-made said, you know, what would you like to do next? And we both kind of went, you know, Sherlock Holmes. Um, and so... We, we opted to do the novels because it would have been, it would have been it's easier to do the novels than the, the, the short stories first and they you know, keep them self-contained and they're, they're easier to sell you know, to, to uh, you know, bookstores and things like that but hasn't hold it. So we, um, we did those and they, I mean, they were good fun to do. I mean, it's, um, uh, two of them especially kind of like switched track partway through the, the one of them and it suddenly becomes like a, a Cormac McCarthy kind of western. Uh, yeah. and so it was like trying to, trying to work that in. But I mean, they were, they were immense immense fun to do um, <clears throat> and at the same time uh, DC Wildstorm but um, uh, friend of, I'm friends with an editor who said Ben Abernathy I mean Wildstorm have gone away the dodo now sadly but he kind of said you know we want to do a Sherlock Holmes thing um, Sherlock Holmes and Zombies can you take that and run with it and I kind of went okay and I think they're expecting something kind of like quirky and, and um, almost, almost like humorous things but I kind of played it straight um, you know we had it regarding the resurrection of Moriarty and, and um, you know, the vampire, uh, zombie, uh, you know, um, zombies overtaking London and what would happen and this and that. Uh, and it got really, I was quite surprised at how well it was easy. And when a lot of Holmes fans went, oh my God, you know, the oil's going to be spinning in his coffin, Holmes and zombies. Uh, but when somebody actually read it, they went, oh, yeah, actually, you know, you've done quite a good job on that. Um, you know, you've done it quite sensitively. And so we did the, um, we did a special, which was um, Holmes and Dr. Jekyll, and then another series which was Holmes and, and Dracula and but what we did we actually kind of you know, the, the zombie devastated London we, we kept that you know we didn't reset anything it's like it's still set in that, that kind of basically an alternate universe kind of thing um, uh, and sadly um, Wildstorm uh, folded because what we were going to do there was going to be uh, another one with, with uh, Holmes and Watson and the Mummy. <laughs> and oh. then we're going to have Holmes and Watson and with, with Frankenstein, and then that brought Moriarty back, so it kind of like it, it rounded everything out. Oh um, my God, I would 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 have loved that. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a real shame, and it's kind of it, it, it was just because they went, you know, the idea it was all, it's all been worked out, all been laid out, and I had them here, but sadly the kind of wild storm got closed down and. Ben now Ben Abernathy now works for Mayfire and so on, but um, yeah, it was like ah oh, that you know that was been a real missed opportunity because it's I especially wanted to do the mummy one because I wanted to do that the, the Boris Karloff Universal Monsters kind of mummy and and um, uh, I just that's just been so cool. But yeah, you know, hey ho, never mind. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, you never know what happens down the road. It's, it's you know it's just, things could be resurrected or whatever. It's just, never say never. I found so. How um, you know how how do you think that the the idea of homes these mishmash homes mishmashes would work um, if you saw it would take to take the uh, modern interpretation of Holmes and and Watson that Stephen Moffat and Mark Gattis has done and throw um, them into it? I, yeah, I I, I, I like I, I think that, I think they're really good. I mean, they are you know it's it's, it's down to the cast that kind of really kind of glue you and 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 um, and. and uh, I, 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 like, I think I, I like them. I'm, I'm, I'm slightly edging more towards elementary. I have to confess. I kind of I like they've kind of taken the, the core concepts and kind of run with it a little bit more. Where you know instead of just kind of it's they, they, the, the Sherlock stuff has stayed close to the, the books, but just tweaks things a little bit. I mean, I'm, I'm nothing against that. I, you know, I'm finding eminently entertaining, and it's, but I, like, I think with elementary they've they've definitely kind of gone off in their own direction. Sometimes when you watch it, you think, well, why have you got any kind of association with Sherlock Holmes? Because you've gone this far, but. 
Um, I just think it shows that the, the characters and the, and the setup holds up to the scrutiny. I mean, what I do like in Sherlock is that basically they've stripped away all the, the Victoriana, all the kind of, you know, the, the, the gaslight grimoire stuff and all that, those kind of steampunky elements, one of the better word, and just pared it down to the, the core Texas stories. Um, and it just shows that the, the stories still hold up, even now, you know, in the 21st century. And I think that's, that's, that's why I kind of, you know, I stick with Sherlock, is that um, you know, it's interesting to see what they, they, they do with those core cool stories. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, I don't know, it's like a format that seems to come to be eminently, eminently reworkable. Re so long as we, yeah, our gateway character is always watching, I think, as well, because it's, you know, we are the, the, he, he or she, the, the viewer's eyes into this, into Holmes' world. Um, yeah, it's a bit like the companion in Doctor Who. Yeah, it's just, yeah, to a certain degree. I know it's been rooted that Sherlock is, um, is Doctor Who for grown-ups. I'm not mm. kind of sure, you know, but it's, um, no, it, it, it's, it's, it's good. It's, uh, just want more of it. That's the, that's the trouble. It's, you know, three episodes or four episodes, and that's it, and you've got to wait another year or two years. It's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I want to see, I want to see a few more sort of like supernatural-based episodes, you know. So, I, you know, I really enjoyed what they did with the Hound of the Basketballs. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, um, it's, it's quite like interesting that. how they, you know, taking the concept and they go, well, what do we do, do we do? I mean, the thing I like as well is that, um, is Mark Gatiss's uh, Mycroft, is, you know, because obviously Mycroft is meant to be quite corpulent and, and home to the stadium, you know, has a diet going kind of thing. And, and, then, we, and then we do see, um, see Mycroft on like the, the, the Stairmaster and all that kind of thing, you know, keeping his figure to him, which I think is great. Because it's, for people who know the characters, it's, like, it's, it's a reference to like, Mycroft being you know, huge, but also uh, they've gone past that and shown you know, that he would try to lose weight in the 20th, you know, 21st century. So it's, 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 mm-hmm. it's kind of like, oh, that's clever. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, among your uh, long list of, uh, of of past credits for 2008, are several uh, Judge Dredd stories, and I'm just wondering what your take was on the uh, 2012 movie. Why why do you think it didn't quite take, um, you know, at the cinemas? Um, I love it. Love, love the movie. Absolutely brilliant. Loved it. My Jane, my wife, who normally doesn't like violent movies or anything like that, she actually sat and watched it. And although she kind of hid some of the face behind the cushion with some of the violence, um, she really liked it. She, she was it, it, it kept her grip because normally she kind of like, she'll get up and potter around her and she's just like fixed solidly. Um, I, I don't know. I just think it's it's you know it's not Star Wars. It's not Lord of the Rings. It's not. It's not been. Wasn't. It didn't have billions, you know, millions upon millions behind it to push it and market it and things. You know, the, the people who knew about the film were always going to watch it. You know, they. they but I just think it's just because it wasn't pushed or promoted. It, it got uh, spread by word, you know, word of mouth. A lot of people said, you know, I mean, I, we saw it a couple of times, and and um, it, it was just, you know, it, it's that ground sort of the grassroots up kind of thing, telling people to to, to watch it. I think. You know, I think if they had a few, you know, a good few million behind them to. The promotion and, and things like that, it's, it, that maybe would have made a difference, but it's, you know, because money, money talks. Um, but, uh, I mean, there is such a grand floor behind it now, you know, there's, there's hopefully going to be a sequel or something, but mm-hmm. um, it just was, I, I just thought it was great. It, it worked for it. I am one of those people, I'm, I'm, I don't overly hate the Stallone version, the bits in it I quite like. I know that's kind of like you know, sacrilege, but um, uh, it's you know it, it, it is. I know it's kind of lambasted, but um, uh, it, it, it's got some bits. I mean, the ABC Warriors, the like the Angel Gang, which, mm-hmm. but um, you know, it depends what if we see those in a, if there's another uh, Drake movie. But um, but now uh, I remember I, I went to the uh, screening in Oxford uh, for the, 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 the rebellion screening, and all you could hear throughout the film when people beat up with Simon Bisley laughing, which is bad. Fundo laugh. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like right, okay. Um, 
enjoyed it because it didn't you know it, i think the one thing one of the ma- biggest problems with the stallone movie apart from the fact that it takes the helmet off yes. um was that they they tried to cram um over so over 30 odd years of mythology into one film yeah and the thing, the thing, so the thing i liked about them being the new one it, it was um unsympathetic there was nobody you know there, there was no kind of doe-eyed puppy moment kind of thing or that kind of, or kind of romantic interest or thing. it was just pared down hardcore you know mm-hmm. this is what we're doing this is you know this is how they are um there was there was very little softness to it yeah um you know i, I think the, the, the only kind of like softness you saw was when anderson was talking to the, the woman who's, who's the husband spoilers coming up now people uh, who, <laughs> whose husband she just shot you know um and they got a small child and, and that i think that was the only kind of piece that, that you got otherwise the rest of it it was just really kind of lean and mean and pared down mm. uh, and that's what you want that's what you wanted and it, and it worked perfectly it kind of reminded me um a lot in some ways of the uh, very first dirty harry movie as in it just played out uh, as, as a day in judge in judge dread's life sort of thing yeah and um and that's why I, I really like that it was just uh, you know yeah, I mean, my when I've, when I've done Dread stories for um, for 2008, I, I I always like the quirky ones, the really kind of like the, the silly, funny, quirky ones, and the kind of um, there are other people who do the the hardcore, you know, law and order Dread, you know, much better than me. So um, I've done a th- I did a three part story and scattered over a year or two with uh, with Matt Booker, basically where Dread crosses paths with a Victorian time traveller and who gets imprisoned and then there's various incarnations of, of the time traveller in the future until basically he's just like a, a brain in a kind of an iPod kind of egg <laughs> that comes from the far future. Um, and uh, I, I just like silly ones. I mean, and there's another one I did with Mike Collins where we revisit the, the alien zoo because I, I remember and I had one of the 2000 AD annuals back when I was, I was young. And it was a brilliant Brian Bolland story that was set in the alien zoo and um, and the villain hides out inside the duck-billed yabba-dabba and dread goes inside him, inside, inside the, actually inside the creature. Um, and I thought, I want to do a story set in the alien zoo. Um, and so, especially post-Day of Chaos, what would be happening? Um, and uh, that, that was that was good fun. So that's, you know, I, I like to do the little quirky, silly, funny ones kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'd be quite fun to see, see a Judge Dredd story where he comes into a, in, into present-day 20th, 21st century Britain. Yeah, well, yeah, you just shoot everybody. <laughs> Yeah. Smoking sugar. It's it oh, well. it start with those criminals that are out over at number ten Downing Street as well. Oh. Isn't it? <laughs> Don't get me started. Not talk politics today. <laughs> Don't get me started. Um, it's um, you know, you've you've had a you had a new 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 book series uh, come out last year uh, called Hinterkind, which unfortunately I missed out on. Um, what what can you tell us about that, and is it likely to be released in a graphic novel format? Yeah, the the, the trade out in April. Um, uh, that collects uh, six issues. Uh, basically, it's kind of um, it's a, an eco post apocalyptic thing. It's set um, so many decades after there's, there's been this. Non-specific, non-specific biological event. This thing called the blight that's wiped out 99% of the human population. Um, and so basically, you know, we've gone from living in cities to basically it's, it's, it's all little villages. There's just little clumps of survivors. Um, but fundamentally, what's happened is that all the creatures we um, attribute myth to, like you know, centaurs and elves and dwarves and goblins and all those kind of things, um, have been hiding in like the last lost corners of the world. You know, in, in forests in North America and in Russia and you know in the way places because they've been like hunting in pogroms and things over the centuries. And so the, you know the, the, the dwindling numbers of their societies hidden in the last lost places. Um, but of course now man's gone and, and Mother Nature's reclaimed the world and the earth starts to green over. 
uh, they've come back out to take the world back for them. It's their their time in the sun again. And of course, the one people that are pissed off at more than most are us. Um, mm-hmm. And so you follow the the, the story of a girl called Prosper who lives her family, uh, she lives with a grandfather and mother in a, built a, a village in the middle of Central Park in New York. And so the bridges are overgrown and the subway tunnels are flat, so effectively the island's fairly isolated, so nobody's really been out since pretty much the plague happened. Um, and they, they they kind of venture out and they find, you know, there are, there are like um, uh, bridge trolls which operate like trapdoor spiders, you know, they, they swoop up and pluck off the bridge and there are centaur horse clans and there's ogre kind who live in the Midwest and uh, the, 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 the main race are called the Shea, which we, what we would attribute to be like elves, um, who are basically establishing, that they're their most politicised and martial kind of race and they're, they're re-established in their kingdom on the west coast and they're kind of like moving east. Um, and uh, you know, either, either just taking over clans or consolidating. It's very kind of. It's got. It, it has a, like a lot of a classic fantasy feel, but set in kind of a post-apocalyptic kind of world. Um, yeah. And it's a green apocalypse as opposed to you know radiated deserts and giant scorpions. Um, and so you, we also find that these these races are. Um, they're not magical. They're not. They're, they're not mystical. They are evolutionary offshoots. They are kind of you know, dead ends and triads. That didn't work, and we can. You know, uh, so I think I said, the, I said the, the story, the rapacious ape kind of thing that um, just supersedes all of these and, and takes over just by the fact that you know, they can breed faster, they're more savage. Um, and but now the, the tables have turned, and these other races have got their time to kind of shine. Um, and so it's it's their world now, kind of thing. Um, and that's and, and, uh, and that's how it comes like to start off. There. It's a big kind of sprawling kind of story, but it's like it, it, it's, we focus on the on the, you know, the individuals. It's Prosper's story. And there's a guy called John Hobbs, who's this hunter and tracker, and the, the Queen of the Shea, and, and all these and these ogres as well. So it kind of we, we build up this kind of like jigsaw of the world through all these different people. Cool. So is this like going? Is this like um, an ongoing? Uh, yeah, book yeah, yeah, or is yeah. It? I mean, touch wood. It's uh, it, you know, the, the way things are at the minute, but it, yeah, it's uh, it's an ongoing book. It's been commissioned as an ongoing book, so um, fingers crossed. It's, um, it seems to be, you know, it's it, it's ticking over nicely, which you know you can't say more than that. You know, these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'm gonna have to look for that trade in April. Cause it sounds like a really interesting story. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's actually been a great time, uh, you know, for comics in the last so like in the last decade or so. We've, we've had Marvel and DC, you know, do, you know, having lots of movies based on on properties. Uh, uh, much much to, to to the chagrin of uh, of Alan Moore. <laughs> Bless him. Um, do, do you think we'll we'll, we'll never get to see um, more indie in indie comic book stories adapted into films or television series? Because personally, um, I don't. Yeah, see... I mean, I, I, I think so. I mean, this. Um... The, the, the Vertigo series I Zombie that's been picked up um, and I think there's a lot of um, the sort of, uh, number of uh, image books that have, um, that have been optioned so there definitely seems to be the you know the comics in the last few years there's always been you know, the movie studios have always looked to kind of um, uh, you know, look at the comic field just to see what they can they can turn into TV shows and I mean um, Red I don't know if you've seen the, the, the Bruce Willis movies that were based on Warren Ellis's mm-hmm. comic I mean they're only very loosely based you know it, it, it's a, the movie's a comedy thriller where the comics definitely aren't um, you know and they, and they you know, they're, they're, they're good fun uh, and, and you wouldn't know that they're based on the comic unless you know, when you look at the credits so I think yeah there's it's going to kind of carry on. I think it'll be a, you know, a casual plundering of the comic book field for, for movie and TV, TV material. I mean, I'd love to see a stickleback animated film. You know, that that. Oh, that, yeah, that'd be quite. Uh, there's um, there's, um, there's a, um, an Australian guy who's done a 
steampunk thing called, I think it's like the Extraordinary Adventures of Jasper Morello, and it's all, it's a steampunk gothic thing, but it's done in like shadow puppet kind of thing. I, I mean, it, it's definitely worth cracking looking down, and it's, um, that, you know, I think doing, doing, you know, stickle back in that kind of that kind of vein would be um, uh, would be really good just to actually see that. Mm. And another one for me that would make a fantastic film would be, um, and this is another one that your your mate Matt worked on as well. It's by Pat Mills. It's The Fall 1666. I'd love to see that as a film. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That, that, that... The, the only thing you have to be careful of sometimes with some things is um, budget. It's, uh, if it's going to be a lot of effects and a lot of stuff, then it's kind of like, mm, they, they are an R. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that, that'd make a wicked film. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, with comics now moving more towards uh, digital media, do you think the uh, more traditional methods of publishing are nearing an end, or, or do you think that there's always going to be room for both? I, 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 I don't use the digital stuff a lot. Um, I, I prefer to actually physically read a comic. Um, and uh, my, 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 I've got two small children, my little girl, she likes to read an adventure time and my little pony and things like that. And she, she much prefers actually having a comic. She, you know, she takes in a school bag and you know, she passes her friends. And, and, and I think there's still the, you know, the, the, it's an, it's an age-old tradition when you see, you know, she, she gives her adventure time comic to her friends at school and they swap things. And, and it's like, that's, that's what I did when I was a kid and we've been doing it like, since the 50s. And so I think there's, there's still that. The, the, the digital stuff is convenient, but um, I think, yeah, print always, I think, will always have a place. As, as long as old farts like me around, print will, <laughs> print will, all, print will always have a place. Um, and I'd, I'd much prefer to read a, a, a tangible comic. It, it's, it's not just a you know a, a, an optical experience. It's, it's like you know, a, a, a textual thing. You know, you, you you like to hold a comic in your hand or a book in your hand. Yeah, I love the smell. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, I love, I love the smell of a, of a freshly printed comic. Well, I mean, you, you feel you, you feel kind of a connection to the the, the thing that you're you know you, you're reading kind of thing. So it's, mm. um, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I kind of you know I think digital will have its place, but. Um, yeah, I think it was like, it's the same as it was in music business years ago with synthesizers going, oh, synthesizers are going to kill live music, and, oh, oh, oh. and if you look now, you know, not, that's not really particularly happened. It's kind of, you know, some stuff has fallen by the wayside, but, you know, things have all been, you know, things have become integrated, and, you know, the, the, the people adapt and evolve and things move on and you know, new things come out of it, so... Yeah, I think it's, you know, I think it's also, I mean, some, at a convention a couple of years back, I was kind of upset about something or other, I can't remember exactly what, and, uh, you know, one, one of the youngers I was talking to at the time, as well, you know, it'll come round again, Cause it, you know, mm. think, things things always come, come round in cycles, and, you know, so... You know, we've not got we've not got much great rock music in the charts right now, and we haven't had it for a while. <laughs> but it will come round again. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's there's nothing more that I like. You know, when I go to like Thought Bubble or the you know, London Comic Con or something like that, is go around um, the, the dealers and look at like you know the, the, the comic sets or the, and see what I can pick up and you know just just stuff to read. You know, I'm not I'm not a collector so much any, anymore, but um, just things I'd like to read. You know, just look through the back issues or you know there'll be a couple of long boxes of where they put sets together and I go, oh, you know, there's a Bill Skerritt's shadow or there's a, you know, Carl Baker shadow or there's this or that. And, you know, um, and it's just like, you know, great. And it's just, you just put it to one side, have a cup of tea and sit and you know, have a cup of tea, have a biscuit and just sit and, you know, wade your way through some comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read, I, I, read, um, I read some of the Steve Tanner books as well and I can't, kind of like his take on Dick Turpin. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> and um, I'm always, you know, I'm always drawn to his table, you know, basically he wears the most outrageous jackets. <laughs> <laughs> you know um what what action advice would you um impart to new writers and artists that are trying to find a place in in, in comics um 
Because it, it, even in my lifetime, it's kind of changed. You know, I, I would you know, say that work with an artist and you know, get something probably to do. I, th- I think these days now, because you can do so much yourself online, you can set up a website and get you know and and, and do your own thing, and then have the, like almost like the, the world kind of come to you. I'd I'd do that. I would you know either you know, draw yourself or, or, or team up with somebody and um, you know, produce something that people you know if it's accessible online, where you know where publishers can come and see. You know, it used to be that publishers really wouldn't look at you unless you got something published. You know. You're worth somebody else investing money in you in something. Um, um, but these days, you know, it's, it's like put it online. Uh, it, it, there's loads of you know, avenues that you can go down. You know, loads of windows for it to be seen in, um, and, and just do it that way. You know, the, 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 make your, your stuff publicly you know, more accessible. Um, I mean, I've, I've picked up tons of small press stuff and things by artists who, you know, who, haven't, who don't work for Marvel and DC who've done their own thing, and it's kind of just purely through recommendations and friends of friends and you know, things on Facebook or the FT website or yourselves or, or whatever and you click on them and you see an artist or a writer and you go, oh, I quite like, like the look at that. So you, you, know, you PayPal you $5 or whatever and it turns up and, and you go, this is really good. And so, you know, there's, there is a whole other, you know, outside of the big two, you know, and then, you know, and Dark Horse and there's a whole other kind of industry going on where you know, people are uh, making and selling their own stuff without missing to recourse to the, the, the big publishers. It's, if you want to do superhero stuff, then obviously, you know, you can't tailor your things a lot more to closer to the you know the companies you want to work for. But um, again, I think you have to do what you want to do. Don't try and emulate so much. I mean, you, we always copy. Uh, you know, when you first start out, you, you copy the people who influence you because that's what gives you your your grounding and your you know, your way in. And then you can't develop your own style as time goes on. But um, you know, tell your own stories, do your own thing. It's uh, that, that's always the, always the best way. But people would be more interested to see you do your own story than you try and do like, uh, another Wolverine kind of knockoff or a Punisher kind of like that. Yeah, just one of the people they want to see what what you have in you kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So that's it. For what it's worth. That's much. Yeah, um, and my final uh, final uh, questioning is: um, is is there anything else you've got ongoing that 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 you can talk about? That's due out. Yeah, well, there's um, there's, a, there's more stuff about coming. Uh, there's a new series of Brass Sun with uh, um, for 2018 with uh, with Ian Colbard, um, which is like a big sprawling science fantasy thing about a clockwork a wind up universe. It's not necessarily a steampunk thing; it's more like kind of science fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing a, a, a three part dread with, um, with Dave Taylor. Which I'm really looking forward to, and then I can I can just announce I've been working with Rowdy Roddy Piper, and I'm, there's a <laughs> there's a company called, Grind, called Grindhouse Comics who um, have been doing they'll be run online first. It's Rowdy Roddy Piper, Monster Hunter, mm-hmm. Monster Fighter, and uh, and that's just been a hoot. Uh, that's just been a real hoot to uh, to write because um, yeah. I'm a big fan of They Live. <laughs> you know, the John Carpenter film, and um, it's just been a scream. I've just really enjoyed it, and kind of I've been kind of badgering them, saying, you know, "When can I actually talk about this? When can I talk about this?" Because it's just like I just want to let people know. So you're the first person, and I shall I shall be posting something up today. Oh, very cool. Um, there's a really good, really cracking Joe Jesco cover for the first. Uh, for the, it's going to be run online, and then I think I'll, I'll do a, a collection. It's um, it's a seventy odd pages. Uh, so I'm looking, for, looking forward to that. When's that actually uh, due to come out? I'm, I'm not too sure. I mean, now, now I've been able to talk about it, I assume it's going to be pretty much... I mean, we're, it's nearly completed. Because I, I think there's, there's just one and a half parts kind of thing to finish. Um, mm-hmm. So as soon as they've got like, all the artwork in, they'll be quite sensible. Um, you know, they'll, they'll start to roll it out. But um, it's going to be run online first, and then I think they'll do a print collection a bit further down the road. But uh, they, they sent me some of the artwork through, and it's, it's just, ah, oh, it's just so cool. So it's, it, it's just a hoot. Cool. Um, yeah, things, things smile to my face. Sometimes, you know, you've got to do the... 
you know, the intellectual and thought process. In other words, just want to do like kind of silly, you know, people blowing shit up and fighting kind of stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's yeah. definitely for decades. Well, I, I reckon they should actually do a do a comic book series. Um, well, if, if they haven't already done one, they probably have. But and I reckon they should do do a comic book series based on Hell Comes to Frogtown. Town. <laughs> 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 yeah, because I've, I've, I've got that, I've actually got that queued up on on my Netflix from Ada if I have time because I've not seen yeah, it since and, the eighties. Sandal Bergman as well, didn't it, from from Conan? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Blonde, yeah, I know far too much. That's fine. But um, no, yeah, that, that that'd be cool. Um, but uh, but yeah, no. So um, there we go. That's, that's all the all the news that's fit to print. Cool. Well, Ian, uh, it's been it's been really great speaking to you, and um, you know, having you on the show, and um, you know, hope hopefully we can do it again sometime. No, that'd be great. Yeah, be lovely. Okay. Well, well, thanks a lot for your time, and uh, the best best of luck with uh, everything that's coming out this year. Cheers, yeah, thank you. And um, you know, I, I'll probably um, I, if I can get to Fort Bubble this year, I'll probably bump into you. Yes. Well, we'll, we'll probably have a table and stuff, so we'll be we'll be stomped in the corner somewhere. I'm sure. Okay. Well, well, thanks for your time. It's been great. No worries. Okay. Bye. Take care. science fiction drama envisioned stories that were happening where no one had gone before, discovering and exploring other worlds far, far away. While many of these series and films became cult classics, somewhere along the way, this genre got lost. Imagine if there was a place where you could go watch exciting new space opera series made specifically for the niche audience that you are. Imagine if this place was conducted by a team as passionate as you about science fiction, and who would use all their background experience to make sure you get the best entertainment possible. SOS is a not-for-profit independent production facility that brings together writers, special effects wizards, and other creative talent from around the world who've worked on some of the most recognizable and respected science fiction franchises. So throw away your remote control and get real control by joining the Space Opera Society right now. With as little as one dollar, you can change the future of entertainment today. For more information, please visit our website. Which is, of course, spaceoperasociety.com. Where all your questions will be answered in our frequently asked questions page. And don't miss our short video presentation from some of our space opera series in development. I'm going to step off the limit. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Hi, my name is Steve Lund, and I play the character of Nick Sorrentino on the new sci-fi and space series Bitten. You are listening to Sci-Fi PulseRadio.com, taking the pulse of sci-fi. And that about wraps things up for this week. We've got a, a great int- interview coming up uh, next week with uh, Vic Mignana um, of the web series Star Trek Continuing Mission. Uh, so that's coming up next week, folks. And um, and we're going to hopefully have more great stuff for you coming up in, in the weeks to come. So uh, please keep listening. Tell your friends about us. And if you haven't already, you know, check out our store at uh, www.com. 
sci-fipostmerch.com. We've got lots of great stuff. You know, if you're in the if you're in the Star Wars, Star Trek, Doctor Who, or Marvel comics, or DC comics, or or you know anything from from sort of like popular culture and whatnot, um, we we got um we got all sorts of things on sale at sci-fipostmerch.com. So uh, check it out, and um, you know we'll be back at you next week. Bye for now. We offer the world 